This morning I want us to consider the power of with. W-I-T-H. You may be wondering, what in the world do you mean by that? With. A scared child wants their mom or dad to come and be with them. A hurting spouse wants their husband or wife to come close and to be with them. In times of tragedy, we see it all over the world and even here in the United States, most recently in uh, the happenings on the uh, at UGA with uh, a murder and a suicide. At that point, we, we tend to want to be with those and grieve with them in times of celebration. We want to be with those with, that we can rejoice. That is the beauty and the power of with. And this morning we are reminded that before Jesus ascended to heaven, His promise, His promise to those who are His followers was very simple. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. What a, what a powerful preposition that is. We simply don't always fathom the power of with. And I even think of this as we commission these elders today and as those that I've served with and uh, currently serve with, those who've served in the past. I think how much more of a challenge would it be for me if I were called to lead alone. That is the power of with. And, and most, most human beings crave this with connection. Now, not everybody. There's some who really are loners and just leave me alone. But most of us, we, we crave this with connection. But this morning, I want us to consider that the greatest with that we could possibly have is an invitation to be with the Lord and God's promise to be with us. And we will see that today as we open Exodus chapter 33. Before we do that, would you join me in prayer? Lord God, as we prepare to open your word together, we first of all thank you for loving us enough to give us this word for speaking to us in a way that we can understand and comprehend and begin to apply and helping us to know you more, your will and your ways more. We thank you, Father, for the promises contained in this book. We thank you, Lord, for the instructions contained in this book. We thank you, Father, for the warnings contained in this book. We thank you, Father, that it is true, that we can rely on it. And we thank you, Father, that as we store up your word in our hearts, that it both protects us from sin and gives us strength and light for the path ahead. And so, Lord, as we open your word today, we pray that you would speak to us, that these would not be Simply words written a long time ago, recorded and re-recorded and brought to us. 
but they would come alive to us because they are alive and active. And so, Lord, speak today as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've got your Bibles, I do invite you to open up. We're going to look in Exodus chapter 33 today. And just a reminder, <clears throat> excuse me, got a little, I think the stuff has started. And so, uh, so you'll forgive me if I take a sip of water from time to time. We'll remind you, we'll put the words up on the screen. You can always follow us there. And for you at home, that might be the most convenient thing for you as well. But uh, we want you as, as much as possible to bring your copy of God's Word as a place where you can write little notes in the margin. You can underline or highlight things in your Bible. And if you do not have your own copy of God's Word, then I want to encourage you to pick one up today. Uh, we have copies available at the Grace at Home Resource Center right across the way. And we would love to put a copy of God's Word into your hand. Well, let's open today Exodus chapter 33. We're going to begin with verse 1, and we'll walk through some of this and, and uh, see what God has to say to us today. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. All right, well, let's pause right here and take a look at what we have before us. This is this has happened after the golden calf incident. And if you were here with us or you know the story, you know that as Moses was up meeting with God, the people down, down below were, were clamoring to have an idol. And, and Aaron, uh, they brought the gold to Aaron. Aaron put it, threw it in the fire and out popped this calf. No, it's not, that's the way he told it anyway. But we know that he cr actually crafted this and put it up for display and the people were were worshiping and partying around it and all kinds of other stuff that was taking place that took place in pagan worship was happening right here at the base of the mountain while God was meeting with Moses and giving him two tablets of stone containing his law to bring down the mountain. And, and, and you may remember Moses got down he, in his anger. He threw down the tablets and shattered those tablets, which was symbolic of the people breaking God's covenant, breaking God's law. And now Moses has gone back up into the presence of God to once more plead for them. Why did he have to go back? Because once he saw it himself, he knew why God was so mad. He knew why God was so angry and wanted to wipe them all out. And so he goes back up to plead with the Lord. And then the, this is the Lord's response to him. He basically says, okay, Moses, I want you to go back down. I want you to break camp and I want you to head towards the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. And I, I'm going to send an angel before you, and, and I'll drive out the inhabitants of the land. So you go and you possess the land. Now, what could be better than that? This is exactly what they wanted. They've been captives in Egypt. They had this promise from God of a land and a nation and a people. And now God says, go get it. Go, just go. Go on. You, you go, and, and, and I'm going to send an angel ahead of you. So break camp and head that way. 
Isn't this what they wanted? Isn't this what they hoped for? But then the Lord adds something else. He said, you go, and I'll send an angel, and I'll prepare the way, but I'm not going with you. If you've ever been in a Bible reading plan where you just read through the Bible in a year, sometimes we, sometimes we miss things like this. And, and, and this is... Have you ever been on one of those speed bumps and it just absolutely throws your car out of alignment it's so bad? This is like one of those speed bumps in God's Word that is meant to slow us down and to go, man, I felt that one. You go, but I'm not going with you. Because if I did go, I, I know what kind of people these are, and it's going to be, I'm going to be mad at them the whole way. This is, this is like, it's like packing your kids for a trip to Disney World, threatening to turn the car around every five miles. You know, it'll be fun when you get there, but man, the trip is, is just miserable. And God says, you know, maybe I shouldn't go because <laughs> I'm going to be tempted to wipe them out every step of the way. And I want you to look what happened before we talk. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I'll, let's see what happens here in verse verse four and following, because I think it's important for us to look at the entirety of this. It says here. And when the people heard this disastrous word. They mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you're a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. So when Moses came back down, he goes, okay, um, God said we could go. God, God said we could go. But for them... It was a disastrous word. What they heard was disastrous. It was, it was awful. This is, this is bad. It should be good news. God said, go and, and take the land. I'm going to send an angel with you. Doesn't even mention the angel's name. It's like some generic, you know, Clarence without his wings. Going to go down there and yeah, he'll go with you. but I'm not going to go. And how do the people respond? And this, this is absolutely fascinating to me because these are the same people, these same people, many of whom are worshiping the golden calf. The very same people. And here it, it looks like they're responding in genuine repentance. It says when they heard this disaster of a word, they mourned. They grieved. This was not what they wanted at all. They grieved and they took off their ornaments. What now? What's up with taking off their ornaments? And and what kind of ornaments? It's like they did they did they undecorate their Christmas tree? Because that when we think of ornaments, that's what we think, right? An ornament is anything of ornamentation. So um, regular 
regular clothes. I got, I have the, I must have really looked sharp last week because I wore a jacket. And uh, it's a good looking jacket, I must admit. I've had it so long that it's back in style. So th- this is kind of normal dress for me. You may come in on a, on a Tuesday and I'd be dressed like this or whatever. Um, I, I, you know, the, 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 the jacket was a little bit of ornamentation. A tie is ornamentation. And so kind of adding anything extra, whether it's jewelry or clothing wise or, or whatever it might be, this is ornamentation. This is dressing it up some. And they took that, all that off. This is, why did they do this? We'll get back to the disastrous message in a moment, but, but why are they doing this? And I want to give you three reasons why they did this, and it does, you don't have to choose between them. I think they're all valid. The first is it was an act of repentance and mourning. It was a physical act to reflect their spiritual state of mourning. We see something similar happens when uh, the people are, uh, are remorseful and the people are repentant. We're told often they would take off their normal garments and they would put sackcloth on. Sackcloth, we kind of, we think of it kind of like as burlap or something like that and it'd be just as itchy, but it was basically this goat's hair that was coarsely woven into fabric and it was itchy and uncomfortable and you really didn't want to wear it and, and wearing that was some, was to help remind you that, uh, it was to help you feel as bad on the outside as you felt on the inside. And they put ashes on their head as a symbol of, of being lower than the dirt. You know, this was, this, this is this physical act to show that they, they, they were repentant in their heart. And here, not putting on the ornamentation has a similar kind of feel to it. The children of Israel will understand showing that they understood in a very visible way the depth of their sin and depravity and their stance before a holy God. And so, first of all, it was an act of repentance and mourning. Secondly, it was an act of humility. Now, we need to remember, where did they get all this fancy stuff from? From the Egyptians. When they left, if you'll remember, it's been a little while back, but they were told to, hey, go and ask all your Egyptian neighbors to give you whatever they'll give you. And, and man... They were giving them anything to get out of Dodge. They just wanted them out of Egypt. And so they were, they gave them jewelry and they gave them all kinds of fine clothing. They gave them anything they could give them and said, here, take this and go get out of here. We don't want you here again. And so now they have all this stuff. I remember an episode of Andy Griffith. I remember a lot of them. But I remember one where Aunt B won like a sweepstakes. Some of you may remember this. She got a refrigerator, she got all this nice stuff, and she got a fur coat in the middle of summer. And she was wearing it all up downtown. She never wanted to take that thing off. Man, she had this fur coat. And she was wearing it downtown, sweating like a dog. And she was just, just wearing this thing. And I'm thinking, that's kind of how we are. You get something new, something nice, and you want to wear it. You want everybody to see it. And so you put it on. So can you imagine these people who had nothing? They've been slaves. They've had near nothing. And now they got all these fancy clothes. They got this nice jewelry. Got these tiaras. They got brooches. They got rings and, 
earrings and nose rings and who knows what else. And they've got all this stuff. And now they get to wear it. You can imagine they would wear it just to show, hey, look how good we are. Look, look at all this nice stuff we have. And so taking all this off was a sign of humility. They were setting all these things aside, recognizing who they truly were in the sight of a holy God. They weren't all that. And the third reason is it was a sign of recommitment to the Lord. And, and we go to this, if you remember when, when they came to Aaron and they said, Aaron, we want you to make us a, an idol that we can worship, that we can see. And Aaron said, take off all your, the gold earrings off your, your wives and your sons and your daughters and, and bring them all to me. They were taking off all this ornamentation for this false god. And this seems here to be an indication that the people gained some understanding of what a grave error that was. And now they're removing not simply their earrings, but all ornamentation before the one true Lord. Now again, God did not want this to be a temporary act for them because now the Lord says, take it all off. That, that, that was a good, listen, this is a good start. They are, they are repentant. They are mourning. They are, they are doing something as evidence of their mourning. And God's telling them, don't, don't let this be like, uh, just a little, little brief thing. Don't, don't let it be a drive by repentance. Instead, this needs to be real and it needs to be lasting. And so he now commands them to take off your ornaments. And we're told that they took them off and they didn't wear them anymore. From that point all the way to the land of Egypt, they absolutely left off the ornamentation and any dressing up at all. This response was an incredible step for a very stiff-necked people. Well, let's go back to the question is why this message was such a disaster. And, and, and we begin to see the answer. If you'll jump down with me to verse 12. We're going to come back and pick up the middle part next week. But if you'll jump down to verse 12, we read there in verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Remember, the Lord said, I'm going to send an angel with you, just generic angel. You know, let's just pick one out of a lot and just send, send that angel with you but I'm not going. And this was what the people saw as a disaster. Why? Because the entire time since they left Egypt and, and prepared to cross the, the Red Sea, God's presence had been them with them in a very tangible way. What was it? Do you remember? The pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day. It was a visible symbol of the presence of, of God and when it would move they would move and there's the, the one instance if you remember at the Red Sea where it moved behind them to protect them from the Egyptian army can you imagine getting up every day of your life walking out and seeing 
a pillar of cloud. That not, not just a, a weather phenomenon. This, this glow, this, this glory of God reflected in this, this cloud that was with you all day. And, and then at night, you could just see it. It lit up the sky. This is God's presence that was with them. And God has said now, I will send an angel with you, but my presence, my personal, tangible presence with you, I'm not going. He goes on, Yet, Moses says, you have said, I know you by name. Moses now reminding God of what he has learned, what this experience, their history together. You have said, I know you by name. God has said this to Moses, I know you by name. And you found favor. Uh, excuse me. God, God said to Moses, I know you by name and, and I... And you've found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, that's what God said to him. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, he says, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. So Moses is reflecting back his calling at the burning bush. Now, I want you to understand something. Moses' calling was absolutely by grace, completely undeserved. Nothing Moses did to earn it. In fact, he was a murderer. Remember, he killed an Egyptian. And then he fled, and his very lifestyle shows that he was leaving behind not only his Egyptian heritage, but he was leaving behind his Jewish heritage. He was, he was a man without a country, a man who didn't belong. He was just there existing and living, and he left this God of the Hebrews behind him. And then Moses, he's out, and he's tending his flocks, and he sees this bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed by the fire. And Moses goes over to it, and God meets him there. And God knows him by name, and God gives him his name. And Moses knew he didn't deserve this. He knew he hadn't earned this. He knew that it was by grace. And the very same thing is true. He reminds him, he says, and, and, and remember too, consider too, this people, your people. They didn't deserve it either. There's absolutely nothing Abraham did that earned God's favor on him. God favored him. God chose him, and through him he chose these people. He entered into a relationship with them. Basically what Moses is saying is, he said, if I found favor in your sight once, and if I find that same favor today, then please show me your ways. Show me how you will lead us. Because the more that I know you and your way, your ways, the more favor I will find in your sight. And be mindful of these people, this nation, of your people. 
And then God's going to reply to him. Verse 14, look at this. And he said, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. And he, this is Moses, said to him, the Lord, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are, dis- that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other nation on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. As I read this and reread it and reread it and spent time walking through this, these are some incredibly powerful verses that deal with the relationship of Moses and his people to the Lord and certainly point beyond that to our relationship with the Lord. The Lord now says, I, I will go with you. My, my presence will be with you. I'm not, I'm not just sending an angel. I will go with you. I will be with you as you journey. And Moses says, almost in relief, Lord, if you're not going, we're not going. If you're not going, don't send us. If you're not with us, we don't want to be there. Moses understood they were a chosen people, unworthy, undeserving, but chosen by God's grace. In his love, he had set them apart. He had made them distinct. It was all by grace. It was not the land of promise that made the children of Israel so different. It was the presence of the Lord with them. You can look this up a little bit later. I know some of you are, are, are current on music and some of you like some of the older stuff, but Toby Mack, um, Toby, he's not, I mean, he's been around for a while, but he is, he wrote a song called Promise Land. And the whole point of that song was to say, in reality, Lord, you are our promised land. And this is significant for us as Christians because so much of our identity is tied up into where we are going. When we are saved, we, we want to go to heaven and we don't want to go to hell. We are a people who have a destination, right? And that destination, we, we, we've talked about it, especially in these last few weeks, we've talked about it a lot what that destination is like, what that place called heaven will be like, this, this glorious place with, with streets of translucent gold and a crystal sea and these gates of pearl and all this beauty and all this glory that is in that city. But I got to tell you what, I don't want to go to heaven if the Lord's not there. Heaven would not be heaven if the Lord weren't there. 
our desire, our, our craving, our wanting should not be for what God gives us, but for God himself. We should live every day with this attitude that Moses has is, I don't even want to get out of bed if you're not with me. I don't want to go to work, Lord, if you're not with me. I don't want to go to school, Lord, if you're not going with me. If I've got to go out there without you, I don't want to go. Because that's the attitude we see from Moses. That's the heart of Moses. Lord, if you're not going, that promised land over there is nothing without you. It's just property. And it may be flowing with milk and honey. And you may drive out all those people. And we may live there in some kind of a relative peace. But if we live there without you, it's not worth going. What an incredible statement of faith and a depth now of understanding that Moses has of who the Lord is and how important, how integral he was to his life. We're people who are often shaped by the sign in front of our church or the the denominational label that our church might have or who our preacher is or what kind of music we sing or any of those things. I mean, there are all kinds of ways to divide us up and into categories. But what is most important is what God declares about us. Who we are. Who we are. In reality. Comes from what God says about us. So what does God say about us? In 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 9, we read, But you are, listen to this, a chosen race. He's speaking to Christians. He's not talking to Jewish people here. Okay, they may be Jewish Christians, but they, they now are completed in Christ. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Did you see all this? How incredible is this? And, and I mean, it dawned on me this morning as we were, we were in our small group and we were talking about the, the temple and the tabernacle and how the priests would enter it. Before they entered, they had to go through this washing ritual uh, to prepare themselves to enter, even to go through the, 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 the curtains into the temple or the tabernacle itself. And what we read here is, hey, we are a royal priesthood. You and I, we're a kingdom of priests. And, and I, I reminded them as I had to remind myself that how do we prepare to enter into the presence of God when it comes to worship? Most of us, it, it really is haphazard. And yet the significance of meeting with God along with His people should be so significant to us that we take this moment seriously. That we prepare ourselves to, to come into God's presence with God's people to worship Him because He inhabits the praises of His people. Peter reminds us who we are in Christ Jesus. And just as with Moses and with those folks, it was not something we've earned. It is not something we've deserved. 
It is something we have received by faith. So let me ask you this morning, which do you desire more? God's blessings or God's presence? Which is more precious to you, the promise of a heavenly home or the fact that the Lord says, I'm living in you right now? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Man, I want that. I, I, I desperately want the burning zeal that the Apostle Paul had when he wrote, but whatever, whatever gain I had, he says, I count as loss for the sake of Christ Jesus Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, he says, I've suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And this word rubbish uh, can also be translated trash, but it can also be translated as feces, as dung. In order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in, G in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Do you see the burning zeal that Paul had? He said, God, more than anything else, more than anything else, I want to know you. Even if knowing you means I have to suffer. Sacrifice all those blessings. Give up everything else. Lord, more than anything, I want to know you. I want to draw near you. I want to be with you. There are two invitations that I offer this morning to you who are here. First is an invitation to genuine repentance. Not drive-by repentance. There are some of you who you go, oh yeah, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for that. But it is never penetrated down to your soul where you recognize how your sin has injured you and, and injured others and broken the heart of God. Not just the law of God, but broken the heart of God. And instead of repenting from it and turning from it what you have done instead is you've kind of set it aside put it under the rug put it in a closet where you didn't have to deal with it rather than repenting of it and changing from it I, when i was when i was going through this last night the words of john the baptist came to mind in matthew chapter 3 where all these people are coming. They're coming to Him. They want to be baptized by Him. They want to be baptized. They want this religious experience with John the Baptist. And His reply was, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You're here to repent. Let's see it. 
Let's see it. For the Jews, for the children of Israel, they stripped off all that ornamentation. They said, listen, I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm in utter humility before God. What will it look like for you? What will you leave behind? What app do you need to delete off your phone? What do you need to give up? You go, I know this is not right. I know it's not what God would want in my life. Are you ready to repent from it today and to say, God, not only am I saying no, I'm saying no in all caps and with an exclamation point, and you're going to see it. You're going to see my repentance. I just, I'm not just going to feel sorry for it. Repentance means I'm going to turn away from it. And there's some of you sitting in this room right now who have a pet cobra. You know it's poisonous. Venomous, excuse me. You know it'll bite. But you just are unwilling to kill it. Today's the day. This is your opportunity to come in humility before the Lord in genuine remorse and say, Lord, I'm done with it. By your power, I know anything's possible. And so, Lord, I'd rather have you than have my pet sin. Second invitation is for those of you who want to know the Lord more deeply. You, like many, like many of us in America, we live surrounded by the blessings of God. And quite honestly, we could go through our day simply enjoying the blessings of God without enjoying the presence of God. And if that's you, if the Lord has... It, listen, we're told to walk with Him. Well, that means a continual journey through life with Him. Is there anyone here this morning who now is willing to say, Lord, if you're not with me, I don't want to go. I want to be with you more than I want anything else. I want a relationship with you. I want to, I want to know you more than anything else in this whole world. God, that's what I want most of all is you who chose me even when I didn't deserve it. You who loved me even when I was unlovable. You, God, who, who picked me out. More than anything else, God, from this point on, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want a relationship with you. I want to be with you. And if that's you this morning, God's not going to turn that prayerful heart away. He's ready to start something brand new with you today.